Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we are going to talk about the one of the most horrible crimes, murders, um, that there has been in America. And that is, of course, the murder of the four Idaho University students. Uh, an incredible tragedy. The killer killed um, Kaylee Concaves, Zana Kernoodle, uh, Madison Mogan, and Ethan Chapin. Chapin. And um, they were 20, 21, and they were incredibly successful, um, well-loved students, not just by their families, but they were stars of the campus for, um, you know, everybody recognized them um, for being special. And unfortunately, um, so did the man who is now in custody, Brian Koberger. He is the um, alleged murderer of these four students. They were killed on November 13th. It took seven weeks approximately for the police and FBI and all of the investigators to um, locate and arrest Brian Koberger. And he is now um, in Pennsylvania. They arrested him at his family's home in Pennsylvania. And he is now uh, actually in a courthouse in Pennsylvania. Um, he was had, having a hearing for his um, in regard to extradition. Now um, he's supposedly, according to his lawyer, wasn't going to be uh, fighting extradition. He wants to return to Idaho. Um, and he is telling this attorney, who is a public defender, and is only involved with him just for the extradition issue. He is telling him that he um, wants to go back to Idaho because he wants to be exonerated as quickly as possible. Now, I think he is uh, dreaming. <laughs> um, it seems very unlikely that he will be exonerated. He was arrested based upon um, DNA evidence that was left at the house. This I, I should probably go back and tell you about the crime a little bit. These four students were killed in their sleep in a house near campus, near the University of Idaho campus. Um, there were six people who were um, staying in the house while they were at that night. It was in the middle of the night around three, four o'clock in the morning that they were murdered and stabbed to death. And people, the investigators, the police who came in um, went to, to, to the crime scenes, said this was the bloodiest crime scenes they have ever seen. And, um, and so it's kind of still surprising to me, but uh, that there, there were two survivors in the house, the two people, two women who lived on the bottom floor of the house. And they say that they didn't hear anything. However, there's a student who used to live in that house who's no longer living there, 
who said that when he lived there, you could hear absolutely everything. You could hear a footstep on the stairs. So it's also a little strange um, that these two survivors uh, didn't call 911 when they first noticed the, um, I don't know, it's, it's very, it's very, there are confusing reports about this um, in terms of the, the, the original report and the main report is that they, they contacted 911 at around noon the next day when they saw someone who was unconscious. Now, that seems seemed to um, indicate they were talking about one of the victims, but it doesn't make sense because this was supposed to be the bloodiest crime scene, so why would they just think that this person was unconscious? But what also doesn't make sense is that um, the they called before they called nine one one. These two roommate survivors called their friends to come over to the house, thus contaminating the crime scene. So I know um, there's been an effort to try to protect them from any criticism, the two survivors, but um, some things do not still ring true. In any case, what is more important is the killer, Brian. Koberger. And I'm going to talk to you today. I'm going to put on my forensic psychiatrist and trial expert witness hats and um, analyze him. He is a very interesting guy. (laughs) He is a forensic psychiatrist dream in terms of having so much to analyze. And we and we don't know half the story yet. You know, there's still a lot more to be found to be discovered. Um, of course, the most interesting part for a psychiatrist is to learn about and understand and put together the dynamics, the family dynamics of the killer as he was growing up. And we really know very little about the family. Um, we know he has a mother and a father and uh, two sisters, I believe. One of the sisters is a psychologist. Um the father declared bankruptcy in 2010. And the, the strange thing about the family <clears throat> is that the father drove or flew out to Washington um, just, just recently in order to drive with his son, the killer, across America to, uh, to their home. Now this was he was going home because it was a break in between semesters. Uh, he was he was a student at um, a school in Washington, which was located only about nine minutes from uh, Moscow, Idaho, which is where this crime happened. So he was very close to the to the University of Idaho, not just his own university, but to the University of Idaho, the Moscow campus. And clearly he must have gone over there. And in fact, um, cell phone uh, tracking has shown that he was in uh, Idaho. And in fact, cell phone tracking has shown that he was stalking these four students before for the weeks before the crime before he killed them. So, um, so, okay, so he was planning, of course, to come home during, uh, during the, uh, between the semesters. There's nothing odd about that. But what is odd is that his father flew out to accompany him home. Now, did the father 
um, decide, well, you know, it's on my bucket list to do a cross-country trip, so I might as well fly out to him and we'll do it together. Did the father hear or the family hear um, something strange in his voice after the killings? And so they thought that maybe he was upset or something, or uh, he didn't quite seem, or he was very tired. There have been reports by by neighbors uh, who saw him, and even classmates who saw him, that he was very tired. He seemed exhausted. But other than that, the classmates couldn't tell that they certainly couldn't tell that they were sitting in class with a killer. And um, there's so much about this <laughs> this story. Um, so why did the father? go across country with him and what not notice that they were driving cross country in a white Hyundai Elantra, the car that was broadcast in all the different media outlets um, as the car of the suspected killer. Did the father not know that? Did he not think to himself, could my son be the killer? Was he that much in denial or did he have a hunch, you know, a parent's intuition and think um, maybe I better go with him. Anyhow, that is a very a very bizarre um, part of the story, uh, and certainly it would speak to a lot of denial. Now, Brian Koberger seems to be in a lot of denial as well because of telling his attorney that he wants to return to Idaho as soon as possible to be exonerated. Um, you know, does he, does he really think that he's going to be exonerated? Well, let me back up a little bit. I've been doing a ton of media on this case. And one of the first um, interviews I had or quotes that I had um, was in Newsweek. And it was where um, I said, and, you know, this is really at the very beginning, certainly before they arrested him, and it was close to the crime itself. I said that he was, that the killer was an incel. Now, what is an incel? An incel, it stands for involuntary celibate. It means that these are men who are involuntarily not having sex. They want to have sex, but they don't, they can't find any women who want to have sex with them, at least not women who they would want to have sex with. But generally, it's it's pretty much any woman. And so these men build up a rage about the fact that they are being deprived of having women who will have sex with them. And um, as, you know, they get rejected more and more, this um they build up more rage and they they become um you know they of course they develop low self-esteem but it's really the rage that then makes them seem creepy to women and the women you know don't really want to be around them altogether no less don't want to have sex with them now, this started for uh, Brian, his problems with women or problems of being rejected by women started in school, in high school. He was um, an overweight kid uh, for most of his high school. He changed between junior year and senior year during that summer. He lost a ton of weight, 80 pounds, it's been said. Uh, that's a lot to lose in a summer. But he also started being addicted to heroin, which kind of helps <laughs> to drop weight. Um, and 
I am not recommending that. I do not do not try this at home. Do not use heroin to lose weight because it brings on many other problems and weight becomes the least of it. Um, so when he came back as a senior, he was not only thinner, but he also was very aggressive and he took up boxing and he wanted to fight people. But in any case, so when he was in high school, mostly, you know, presumably all through high school, even, at, you know, when he had lost the weight, girls, um, well, starting back when he was sort of a fat nerd, <laughs> girls um, uh, bullied him. You know, girls um, found him strange and bullied him. They threw things at him. So needless to say, his feeling rejected by girls started very early in his life, and it only continued um, and made him more and more enraged. And the reason why I said that um, he was an incel back, you know, when the first, when the crime happened was because, first of all, the um, people who he killed, uh, the four students, were Stacy's what the incels call Stacy's and Chad's. And I will explain that. We're going to probably have to take a break right now. But when we come back, I'll explain what that is all about. And also, because I also said that he was an incel because, um, because of the brutality of the crime, the stabbing, they were stabbed, each were stabbed numerous times. Kaylee Concavis was st- stabbed the most. And in fact, her father talked about um, her being gouged. Now, that actually has come to have even more, um, what, more um, oh, horrendous kinds of implications, um, eerie, just, you know, kinds of implications when you hear the rest of the story, which you will hear when we come back. You're listening to, to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm talking about the suspect, uh, Brian Koberger. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about the man, the young man, 28 years old, who was arrested and is the number one suspect in the quadruple murders of um, Ethan, Kaylee, Zanna, and Madison, and uh, all Idaho University students. Uh, they were killed in their sleep in a in their in a house that they were renting in Moscow, Idaho. And um, I was talking about how early on, before we really knew that much about him or about the, we didn't know it was him, before we knew about the, uh, much about the, well, people were still putting together the profile of who the murderer would be. Um, I said from the beginning that he was an incel. And as I was describing, an incel is involuntarily celibate. Um, a young man who has gotten rejection after rejection and he, who calls um, incels, not just uh, not just Brian, but incels, that is a whole subculture on the internet. There are chat rooms for incels, for example. And in fact, um, one of the signs that they think that he is an incel is that they've started a campaign, Free Brian Koberger. So the incels recognize him as an incel. You know, that's why they want to free him. Um, incels in general are furious at women who um, won't have sex with them, who reject them, even women who they are, haven't necessarily spoken to, um, but who just looking at them, they think that this woman, you know, has too much together, that she's beautiful and she's smart and she's, you know, she's got it all together. And so she wouldn't be interested in him. And even if they don't actually talk to the person, they're just furious that um, because they know that women like that wouldn't want to be with them or have sex with them. So now these four students who were murdered in Idaho um, are sort of the embodiment of um, Stacy's because of how attractive they were, how smart they were, how they were popular. They were in sororities and fraternities and all of these things. So even if he didn't talk to them, and it's not yet clear if he actually did have a conversation with them, um, but even if he didn't, he would have looked at them as being Stacy's and um, Ethan as being a Chad. Now, um, when when um, th this investigation was taking a long time, it's all it's been about seven weeks before they arrested somebody, arrested Brian Koberger, and um, right, ironically, right before they arrested him on a Friday morning, and on Thursday, I had committed a thousand dollars as seeding funding for a reward. I was putting together a um, website to offer a reward for the for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the murderer. <laughs> Before it could go live, uh, the website go live, you know, I was going to be gathering people's tips and then um, sending them to the FBI and so on. But there would be this record that it came from uh, a particular person before I could do that, um, they they arrested him. Now, there's I do definitely think that this is the killer, even though even though he thinks he's going to be exonerated. And the arrest was based upon DNA and on the car 
the identification of the white Hyundai Elantra, which was his car. Um, the DNA evidence they uh, got, not because it wasn't in the data bank, DNA data bank that the police and FBI and so on have uh, that comes from people who have been arrested and or convicted. It came from a genealogical website um, where people, just normal everyday citizens, uh, put in their DNA to try to find their relatives. So, um, you know, they might have had to, so we don't know yet who, which relative um, of Brian Koberger's they found that, you know, and then were able to trace him through that. Now, Brian... um, studied psychology in a community college in Pennsylvania. He was, he grew up in Pennsylvania and then he um, went to um, a different college for, to study criminology and he got a master's in criminology. And then he went to uh, Washington state university, which is only nine miles from Moscow, Idaho, where the crimes took place. So he likely frequented the same bars and grub trucks as the four victims. It's not clear whether now, you know, they're going to go back and recognize him in some of the photos or videos from those scenes of where the two um, Maddie and Kaylee were that night before they went home and were killed. Um, What's interesting is that he may well be following in the footsteps of Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy was also also majored in psychology in college, and then he studied law at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. And Ted Bundy also um, he was graduated from college, the universe which was the University of Washington. So, you know, did uh, Brian Koberger go to school, go to grad school in Washington? Um, to study criminology because Ted Bundy had studied in Washington and he was following in the footsteps of Ted Bundy. That is definitely possible, except the only difference or the main difference is that um, Ted Bundy was a charmer of women. He wasn't an incel. He was a charmer. And that's how he got women to come with him, you know, to go get in his car and all of these um, different things you know, incidents where he was able to then kill them. Um, Let's see. There's so much, so much that's interesting. Um, Now, I had also, in a different article, I had also talked about how, um, you know, a story about how people can recognize who the murderer is. You know, um, this was obviously before they arrested him. It was how people can, you know, see if they, in fact, know the murderer, which is so interesting because his classmates in in the uh, in his criminology graduate classes, they had no clue that they were sitting next to that they're going to be criminologists and they had no clue. <laughs> Doesn't bode well for their um, work, their career later as a criminologist that they could have missed it. But, um, but Brian, um, you know, they talk about Brian being deadpan, he having a deadpan face. And quite frankly, even in pictures from his childhood, I was, I've been looking at, um, I've been looking at everything. 
And so there's, for example, there's a um, a video, not only pictures in his childhood, like of at a wedding or, you know, different places, um, but also there's a video of him at a graduation, his own graduation. And he goes up to, to get his diploma and he looks at the person giving him the diploma, the dean or whoever that was, um, and he and he looks at him with his the same deadpan face, no smile, no thank you. Um, he has the same face, you know, at all times, um, except, and this is what I had said in terms of how you can recognize who the killer is. I had said that the this the killer would be someone if the killer is someone you know, you would see that they the their personality changed, that. Um, that before the crime, um, they might have been, you know, quiet and um, um, just basically quiet, sort of in the shadows. Um, and then after the crime, they would be much more animated and talkative. And uh, and and lo and behold, his um, criminology classmates have said just that. That um, that he was after the crime, he was more animated and and more talkative, and that is because um, incels. You know, he was doing the work of an incel. He had just killed. Um, not only do incels, you know, rape and kill women, but um, they particularly kill women. But they also um, um, they. Oh, I don't even know what I was. I'm trying. I'm thinking of so many things at once because I know so much stuff about this guy that is so interesting. But um, but sticking with his his school. Oh, they were saying that when they talked about this crime in their class, which they did because they were so close to the crime scene, that um, Brian didn't really say much or I say anything, and he had his deadpan look and so on. But after the crimes, that's when he was more animated, not not talking about the crime. He never talked about this crime that he had just committed, but just in general, he was more um, talkative and friendly and, you know, and they didn't really put it together because, you know, how <laughs> it is hard to um, put together that he was acting normally in every other way, like, other than being more animated and talkative, they d- and and being seen as being a little more tired and so on, they didn't really see any other change. And um, and he finished the semester, and he was also a TA, a teaching assistant, and he continued with his teaching assistant duties. Although they said he changed with that, he used to write, um, he used to give the students bad grades on their papers and write lots of criticism. And after the crimes, he ju- he gave them better grades, and he didn't write any criticisms. So that was another clue. Again, because he felt happy. Oh, because this is where I was going. Because incels want to get rid of all the Stacys and Chads in the world, not just the ones who um, rejected them, but all the Stacys and Chads. And um, and they so so his having accomplished this killed four Stacys and Chads. You know, um, he was very proud of himself. And so he wasn't introverted any longer. He was, you know, he felt good about himself. Um, what else? Now, 
Um, I've been quoted in and quoted in a lot of uh, articles and, and on all different television programs and so on. And one of the t- one of the um, one of the recent articles, like that just came out today, in fact, was one from um, from Newsweek, where I talked about how I th- you you may have heard the um, information about him that was given by his aunt. Uh, an aunt who had married into the family. She talked about how uh, he was vegan, but not just vegan. He was obsessive compulsive about not eating off of any plate or pot or pan that had had meat in it. Now, my interpretation of that, uh, because I was saying to begin with that I think he was struggling between um, wanting to be wanting to learn how to commit the perfect crime. That's why he was majoring in criminology. And he was also majoring in criminology because he was trying to understand himself. And he was trying to fight the demons in himself, the murderous demons in himself. And he was doing a research paper too. Um, He did this research to ask felons, ask murderers um, how they felt when they were committing the crime, how they decided to commit the crime, how they chose their victims, all kinds of questions about their being a murderer. And so he was really trying to understand himself. And, um, and he was fighting against these murderous impulses in himself. And at the same time, he was also trying to learn how to commit the perfect crime. So in that same vein, you know, this, these competing things that he was feeling and wanting and so on, um, in regard to this, his not wanting to eat from plates or pans or pots that had meat in it, I think he was fighting against his impulse to be a, um, a cannibal, to eat people who he killed. Now, um, the reason why, <laughs> don't listen to the next couple of minutes if you're sensitive, but it what, what I thought, so I think that that was part of what he was fighting, that he also had these cannibal instincts, and we know he got addicted to heroin in high school, so he saw, he knows that he has um, an addictive personality, so he felt that he could get addicted to the taste of meat and then and then eat people who he killed. Now, this the part that gets really gross is um, the fact that uh, it has come out that, well, it's, it, it came out early on that he that the crime scene, as I said, was so bloody and that he had stabbed the victims multiple times. It was a very brutal um, stabbing, a very brutal attack and so on. And Kaylee's father, I think Kaylee was the target of this attack. Um, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but... Um, Kaylee's father, um, early on when he was, he was really frustrated with the police not catching the guy soon enough as he, well, he should be seven weeks was a long time, but anyhow, um, so, um, he talked about, he revealed the fact that even though the, the police had originally said that all four victims had these horrible knife wounds and brutal, brutal knifing and all of that, he, the, he also had found out, I think from the, um, the coroner, uh, that his, that Kaylee, his daughter had the most vicious, uh, wounds. And, um, that he said that her wounds were, she was gouged 
not just stabbed, but gouged. Now, when you put that together with his cannibal instincts, you know, that makes a pretty gross, sad picture. And the reason why I think, I, I'm, I can't remember if I mentioned this already, but the reason why I say that Kaylee was the, was the primary, his primary target, the primary Stacy, um, you know, who he wanted to kill. But um, also b- because um, there had been reports, uh, his Kaylee's father reported that she told him, she told her father that she had a stalker. And then there was also a man who ran a store in town in Moscow who talked about how um, the, you know, um, either Kaylee and or her friends talked about how they were walking behind Kaylee because she had a stalker and they were trying to protect her from a stalker. Now, so I think that, um, that Brian was primarily she was his main target but then you know he wanted to he hated all the stacys and chads um so what else can i tell you um so um the his lawyer his current lawyer so today he had a hearing about um whether he is going to be brought back to extradited to idaho and um, he supposedly wasn't going to fight that because he, uh, again, he thinks that he is going to be exonerated. He wants to be exonerated as quickly as possible. But his lawyer also said that um, he was going to ask, he's, he's only his lawyer for this extradition hearing in Pennsylvania. But when uh, Brian gets back to Idaho, he's going to have another attorney, another uh, public defender. Um, and the public defender may well in Idaho may well ask for, um, well, may well try to have a not guilty by reason of insanity defense. And the, in the meantime, the lawyer from Pennsylvania is, has already said that, um, he is asking for them to have, uh, a psychological testing so that, um, uh, the first thing that would that would be use, used for would be whether Brian um, is uh, competent to stand trial or not. So if he has uh, an evaluation, not just psychological testing, you need a whole psychiatric evaluation. It's not just by testing. Um, so if he is found incompetent to stand trial, uh, as this lawyer is hoping, then then the then they, the trial will be postponed. But um, I don't think he's going to be found incompetent to stand trial, although he does look very, um, he is looking very uh, out of it, um, you know, but um, this deadpan, you know, but that's kind of the way he apparently has looked <laughs> in the past. But there is no question that he should be found, that that it is not, he was not not guilty by reason of insanity. Yes, he has very significant psychiatric problems, of course, but um, at the time of the crime, you know, the not guilty by reason of insanity has to do with the mental state of the uh, criminal at the time of the crime, not today, not two years ago, at the time of the crime. And the question is, did he know the nature of the crime and did he know whether it was right or wrong? 
And um, there's no question that in my mind, in any case, uh, the, the defense would not want me as an expert witness um, because I would not be willing to say that he was not guilty by reason of insanity, that he didn't know what he was doing, didn't know the nature of the crime, and didn't know that it was wrong. He did. And um, if I haven't mentioned it already, uh, when I was talking about incels, the the key the number one insult I might have already you know I've been doing so many interviews I can't remember what I said where, but um but this is important the number one and you can look you can Google this the number one uh, incel revered incel is Elliot Roger who committed the crime at the UC Santa Barbara in 2014 um, through stabbing and shooting and run, using his vehicle to run people over. And he is was definitely an incel. He made a manifesto. We know that he was an incel. Um, he made a manifesto about Stacey's and Chad's and women are rejecting him and all of that. And, you know, it's he wasn't a bad-looking guy. It wasn't because of his looks. It's because the women could tell. I mean, they called him a creep, and they called this guy, the Idaho murderer, a creep. Um, there is something the women can tell that there is something wrong, <laughs> mentally wrong, and in particular, that he has a lot of rage. So that is why they reject them, why they don't want to go out with them, why they don't want to have sex with them. Um, it's not necessarily having to do with how they look. Um, although incels do primarily think that it, it's genetic and that if you're not bo born as a guy, if you're not born good looking, then no woman's going to want to go out with you or have sex with you. So there is, there is that. There also is, um, you know, the fact that Elliot, uh, Roger committed suicide after his crime. And that is why I have been saying that you have to be careful in regard to, um, in regard to Brian, to keep him on suicide watch, both in terms of Pennsylvania and transportation and when he gets to Idaho. So stay tuned and we'll um, talk more about, we'll unravel the mind more of Brian. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm putting my forensic psychiatrist and trial expert witness hats on today, analyzing the... um, Alleged murderer, you have to say alleged until he's convicted, but it looks <laughs> looks like he's the guy. And that's Brian Koberger, 28 years old. He was taken into custody this past Friday and uh, for the killing of the, uh, the quadruple murders uh, that took place in Moscow, I- Idaho, um, at the uh, off-campus University of Idaho students, four students, really special special students um they 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 looked like they had everything which is why uh brian koberger was particularly attracted to them to kill them because as an incel he would have expected that the girls the three girls would have uh rejected him uh kaylee especially zana and maddie and uh, Ethan was a Chad, a guy who gets the girls. You know, he, his girlfriend was Zana, so he was sleeping with a Stacy, and uh, he was the lucky guy. And so he gets to be killed too in this incel's mind, Brian Koberger. Um, let me tell you a couple of other things. Um, you know, I mentioned that I had uh, been talking about in the media or quoted in articles about some of the signs that the killer might be exhibiting. And one of the things that I wrote about was um, his personality would change from someone who is introverted to someone who has more confidence, like a spring in his step or being more active because he would feel like he got back at all the Stacy's and Chad's and isn't a loser anymore. Uh, another thing, he would be obsessively following news reports of the crime online, on TV, and radio, and in print. He would try unobtrusively, no, I think certainly he was doing that. He would try unobtrusively to get inside information from law enforcement as to the current status of their investigation. I'm not sure if he did that. Um, he would like he would be likely to show up at any events such as funerals or memorials for the victims in order to secretly gloat at how powerful he is. Now, um, he may well have been at the memorial. There had there was an, a memorial for the four students in um, uh, in Idaho, and um, he may have been at that. You know, if he was, they didn't. The police didn't recognize him at that. That was pretty early on somewhat early on um but in any case what is really ironic and you know shows that the universe might be helping the families uh because the day that brian was arrested um there was the memorials 
for um, Kaylee and Maddie. They were having those in not in Moscow, um, Idaho, because I think because they didn't want the killer to show up there. Um, killers often not just incels, but killers, all different kinds of killers, um, or even not necessarily just killers, but um, criminals often do show up at memorials um, or, well, I guess it would be primarily memorials where um, because they they love the idea that they that no one is recognizing them, that no one realizes that the murderer is amongst them. Um, so a- anyway, the universe brought uh, the families of Kaylee and Madison um, the 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 comfort of um, the police having arrested Brian on that day. So that was kind of a nice irony. Irony. One nice thing. <laughs> One nice thing in regard to this tragic, tragic case. Um, then, oh yes. Then I also wrote um, he would likely belong to incel chat rooms and couldn't help but drop little hints that he was the killer. Now, hopefully, they are looking in incel chat rooms. He probably would have gone from by a different name, but um, you know, he and clearly he wouldn't have said, you know, I am the killer of the quadru- I'm the quadruple murderer uh, in Moscow because he they would have been able to find him that way. But little hints. It'll be interesting to see if they find that as the investigation goes on and the trial go- starts and all of that. And then um, I wrote, but once he got wind of the investigators looking at him as a possible suspect, he would hide in the shadows and possibly take his own life if they got too close. Now, I don't think he did think that they um, saw him as a possible suspect because he seems to have been shocked when they came to his house (laughs) between three and four in the morning in Pennsylvania. Um, and and arrested him. He he's his first uh what he said to the arresting officers was, um, have you arrested someone else as well? Which is a very interesting comment. Um it could that could be interpreted in a number of ways. On the one hand, it could be um that he was hoping that they arrested other people, you know, like asking, are you only thinking about me? Am I the only one you're focusing on? Or do you have other people who you're suspecting? Or it could mean that he had some kind of an accomplice um, and was wondering if they got that person. Now, um, I don't think he had an accomplice at, at the scene of the crime because um he first of all, he seems like a very controlling person and would want to be in control of this whole thing himself. Also, in terms of wanting to commit the perfect crime, he would want the credit for it all himself. But there might have been someone who uh, helped him inadvertently, like in some way. Um, and he was wondering, and they so they knew something about him, and he was wondering if they if they arrested that person too. Or third interpretation, um, maybe he was trying to set up a an insanity defense, and he was um, pretending or to have um, 
and a dissociative identity disorder, uh, which was called multiple personality disorder. So he's, you know, where he's going to try to say that he didn't do it. It was, you know, one of his alter egos did it. That could be, I mean, especially since he presumably studied uh, people in criminology who tried using that offense, that defense. It isn't necessarily uh, successful, but that could be his game. Um, so what else? Uh, other interesting things that have come about are the fact there's a story, not only was it his high school, you know, girls in high school, um, who were calling him a creep and not wanting to have sex with him or go out with him, um, and possibly girls in college as well, um, and in grad school as well. Um, but, um, but also it, it has come out that when he was more recently, when he was in uh, Pennsylvania, he went to a brewery um, that we called the Seven Siren Brewing Company. And he um, was harassing the female staff and customers there. He would sit alone, they said, and he would... Um, he would sit alone and he would try to, you know, he, he would ask girls out. Um, and if they didn't, if they said no, or if they didn't want to talk to him or whatever, um, he would get very angry. And, um, and so there was, they have at this brewery, they have a, um, like, uh, they keep a record that, well, first of all, they ask for people's IDs and when people come into the bar and they keep a record um, about some of the people next to their ID um, in their system, in the restaurants, in the bar system, where they make comments about the people if there are any problems or, you know, possibly if there's something good about the person, but certainly, you know, if there's something to watch out for. And in this brewery, they made comments about him um, to be, to look out for this guy, that he does uh, harass people and especially as he starts drinking, he gets to harass people more, women more. And um, and so they, um, so the owner of the bar um, talked to him when he saw him the last time. And he said, and this bar is near his Pennsylvania home. And um, the owner went up to him. And said, you know, um, we're like, we're watching you or be careful or, or when you've come in here before, you know, and people have, women have spurned your advances, uh, you've gotten harassing and don't do that. Now, I don't know if they actually threw him out, but they certainly gave him a warning. <clears throat> so all of these things go along with this incel diagnosis it's not literally a diagnosis like in the D diagnostic and statistical manual but it is a way of a description i mean it is an an entity certainly because there are there are thousands of incels um who we know about who are on uh, who are online i mean when i say we know about they don't necessarily use their real names, but there are thousands of incels in these in online chat rooms um, talking about their rage towards women 
and about how it's not fair that some men get born with looking good, being good looking or having money. That's that they were talking about. Also, you know, money is a is a help <laughs> in terms of uh, getting women. Although Elliot Roger, who is really known as sort of the uh, he he's the hero incel, he's looked up to by all the other incels. And um, he actually did have money. He had a fancy car and he had um, a nice apartment and he had all the, the trappings of someone who had money. His, his parents, his father in particular, did make a lot of money. So money isn't enough to, um, to get women, uh, incels have learned. And, um, and they keep the build. Oh, and, and I think I mentioned at the beginning, I hope I did, but this is perhaps one of the most shocking things besides the cannibalism is that there is this, the incels have put up, have started a campaign free, uh, Brian Hoberger, Koberger. So, um, so that kind of says it all. Well, thank you for listening to the, uh, Dr. Carol's couch. Um, we will now see what is going to happen. Um, he's going. What's going to happen when he gets back to Idaho is that he's going to meet his his lawyer. He's going to be assigned a public defender. And you know, um, if you know, if you yourself or you ever know somebody who is um, arrested for a crime, not necessarily murder, any kind of crime. And um, they get a public defender. You have got to, well, I don't want to, I, I do want to put it strongly, but I don't want to make, um, you, families somehow need to come up with the money to um, pay for a private attorney. Because I have been doing this, being an expert witness and so on for over 20 years. And time and time again, I have seen how um, public defenders do not do a good job. They are not able to get the people acquitted, whether not just for murderers, you know, whether it's kid, any think of any kind of crime, um, you, whether you need to put your house on the market, you know, get um, resell your house or um, cash in a uh, uh, savings. Or, I mean, I know, I know that that's, I mean, you'd have to make your own decision about whether you're going to do that. But let me just say, put it this way. Um, you cannot count on a public defender to do a good job because they have to too many people. They're assigned too many people. And when it gets to be a very complicated defense in particular, um, they don't want to put in the time or they don't have the time. They have so many other criminals or, or well, people arrested, who defendants who they're trying to save. So that is something you really have to watch out for. Um, Brian Koberger's father has already said they don't have the money for a private attorney. So um, so he's going to have a public defender, and I don't think things are going to go well. Well, again, thank you for listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.